0: The building block to being a good professional athlete is you've got to enjoy it already. As soon as it turns into a chore, I just think the mental toll that that takes is really hard.
1: Hey lovely Pocket Money listeners, it's Sally here. As you may know, our last episode was all about dream jobs. And today we wanted to share some bonus material from our interview with AFL superstar Phil Davis. Today we're tackling <laughs> get it, some of the topics. We're gonna to be going behind the scenes, away from the bright lights and cameras to bring you a new perspective on the world of professional sport. We're digging into the details of life off the pitch to find out what it's like to have a job that's dependent on your physical health and the types of financial decisions you have to make for a career with a pretty short lifespan. To get all the answers, my fabulous co-host Mark went into the belly of the beast at the HQ of AFL's Greater Western Sydney Giants. Mark had a chat with Phil Davis, co-captain and backline bandit for the GWS Giants after a training session. Phil kicked off his career in 2008 with the Adelaide Crows and was one of the first uncontracted players to join the newly formed club in 2012. But as you'll find out, he's no one trick pony. Before we jump in... If this is your first time listening to Pocket Money, welcome aboard. Toss us a cheeky subscribe and promise me you'll share it with at least two mates. And yes, one of them can be your mum.
2: Thanks, Phil, so much for being with us today. Uh, welcome to Pocket Money. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm excited about it and seeing where we go this afternoon. Yeah, so Phil, we really wanted to uh, delve into the topic of being a pro athlete as a career. So we want to start with uh, your story and basically your journey to becoming a professional athlete.
0: I guess I always loved sport growing up. Started with soccer, then some basketball. I presume when I was young I used to kick balls around the house, but grew up in Canberra at that point. So rugby is the dominant sport in Canberra. So at 10, mum said it was too dangerous to play rugby. So she said you could play AFL or Aussie rules, sorry. And then also played cricket. And so I played basically cricket and football were the key pillars of my life from 10 to 18. I loved them both. Cricket all summer, football all winter. Uh, and I guess basketball was in there a little bit till I was about 15. And then I had to drop that. Um, and then I must admit, I wasn't very good at either. I was probably just okay at football and cricket. Got to 16 as a cricketer and was starting to really love it. But it hurt my back and basically went from that point and said I should probably, if I'm going to be any good at sport, it must be footy now. Also, cricket, it's pretty hard if only the best 11 get to play for Australia out of thousands. Well, at least there are 800 jobs in the AFL, so I thought that would be better odds. It wasn't probably till 17 and a half that I thought I could potentially be a pro footballer. And then, fortunately, end of when I just turned 18, I got drafted, and yeah, it's an occupation now.
2: What was the feeling when you got drafted?
0: Yeah, it was crazy. As I said, I just wasn't super good <laughs> <laughs> growing up, like from 14, 15, 16, 17, never any state team, never any development team. I was a, played first footy school, but I wasn't a superstar or anything like that. And then 18, made the state team, um, but got injured halfway through that year as well. So I never thought I was really that good, but it was sort of late, later than most, because these days people think they're going to get drafted in, at 16, 17, but... So there, when it finally all happened, you still have an idea it's going to happen, and for me, we went from being, oh, maybe I'll get rookied or or the last pick, and slowly thought I'd go higher and higher, and then eventually got drafted, as I said. It was just an awesome day, because for me, it was more of a dream. I'd always dreamed of being a professional footballer. It was a dream, not a goal, because a goal is probably something that you think is attainable, and I probably never thought it was really attainable until six, seven months before it actually happened, so... Uh, I worked hard, no doubt, trying to turn a dream into reality. But at the end of the day, it was surreal just because I probably, for most of my life, didn't think I was ever good enough to do it. But it happened. That was pretty special.
2: What appealed to you about becoming a professional
0: athlete? One thing I will say, when I thought I wanted to be a professional footballer, dreamt about it, my parents were very good at telling me that my school studies had to be very good. So I never put all my eggs in one basket. So for me, it was always, I'd love to play in the AFL. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, but hey, if it happens, um, that'd be great. i work really hard just in case it all fell my way, but i also study really hard and, and do other things and make sure I'm upskilled in that way. I guess I just want to do it because I think it's innate in me to be the want to be the best for me. Like I don't necessarily want, no, want to be the best player in the competition, but I want to be the best version of myself, and that innate want to improve and challenge myself probably led me to wanting to play in the professional because that's where get to do it full-time and challenge yourself against the best and really you know that sort of pressure I think is important for for self-growth and development.
2: Being a professional athlete in a whole range of sports it's a dream for a lot of kids around the world but they probably don't know the actual day-to-day activities and what's involved it's obviously a very hard job so maybe you could explain a bit about like what's a typical week involved uh, in being a professional athlete in the AFL.
0: Yeah yeah, I'll tell you two weeks like there's pre-season which is the physically most Demanding time of the year, which is all of summer, and then in season, which is a little bit different, where you know the week is bookended by the match you've just played and the match you're, you're about to play. But I must admit, I always tell everyone that I do have a job in inverted commas and that they're in the real world and I live in this <laughs> fantasy world of elite sport. It's just very different. So pre season, we go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday morning, and we have Thursday and Sunday off. But Monday, Wednesday, Fridays are our big days, so we'll get to the club by seven. And we leave by 4.30ish. And so everyone's like, wow, you're running around that whole time? I'm like, no, 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 not the whole time. So we get here at 7 and first hour is just preparing the body and checking with physios to see that we're okay to train. Quick meeting for 10, 15 minutes. Outside for three hours, some really physically taxing stuff. Recover for 45 minutes, it's midday. You know, stretch, ice baths, hot baths, massage if you need it. Then lunch for an hour, twelve to one, and then we've got afternoon rotations which consists of weights, indoor skills, Pilates, yoga, physio, massage, video sessions to learn more about the game. That's one till four, and then as soon as it hits four o'clock, you do your own recovery to leave the day again. So that's generally ice baths, and then you're out by four thirty, and then you do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So the afternoons always vary, but always weights. And then Tuesdays is eight until one, and that's usually meetings. Um, where we learn more about the game and some like cross-training, whether it be bike or the rower or whatever, and some skills. And then Saturday is just purely conditioning, which is just running or bike or something from 8 till 10. So that's a normal pre-season week. So um, we've got a fair bit of time around the edges, but usually pretty exhausted, which is a bit of a catch-22. So when my girlfriend says, let's go out for dinner, sometimes I'll look at her and go, please not tonight. Just <laughs> let me sleep on this couch. And then pre-season completely flips. But it's all about recovery. So Monday... Just a short day, eight till twelve, do a meeting or two just to review the game on the weekend. Yeah. Tuesday get the body going just a little bit, a little bit of weights, a little bit of a bike session, a little bit of kick of the footy, and then a bit of um, Pilates and stuff. Wednesday's our big day, which is basically the same as a pre season day, except just less training load. Thursday day off again. Friday, very quick run around, meeting to plan for the next day. Saturday play. So it's completely flipped. Pre season, all about physical exertion. Uh, maximizing your body. In-season is all about recovery and reviewing how you've played and move on. And I always like to say that the pre-season is physically demanding. I find the in-season very mentally demanding with the challenges of performance, the anxiety around that, the stresses that come with just performance week in, week out.
2: Yeah, that's interesting because I think a lot of people, kids especially, it's Mm. probably the opposite of what they think. They think during the season it's probably like frantic. And then in the preseason you're chilling, but yeah, it's actually yeah. the, seems it's the, like opposite. It's the opposite, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It, which yeah. makes sense.
0: Well, that's the thing is that like the weeks just blend in during both, but for different reasons. You're sort of catching your tail a little bit in season because you just want to make sure your body's 100% because everyone gets their six-monthly reviews or 12-monthly re- reviews in the real world. We get a weekly review of how we're going and you just want to be make sure that you're 100% right. Well, preseason it just rolls in because it's hard session after hard session. You're just getting this groove. Where your body's just getting bashed but it's just completely different and they both require different skill sets to to survive and thrive
2: what would you say makes up a dream job then
0: i think a dream job to me is one where you get personal fulfillment you know some people get personal fulfillment from helping other people some people get it from improving themselves as a priority or whatever can give you a set of circumstances where you can feel fulfilled and be happy i think that's the dream job you know, obviously remuneration is important as well. You want to make sure you get paid so you can provide for yourself and your family. But I get that out of football. I get this great sense of, one, I get to improve every day. It's awesome. Like I've got endless scope for improvement. But two, I can help other people improve, which is also really exciting. And then three, I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself. So for me, that's why a dream job and trying to think about what I can do after football that fits those sort of three criteria will be a bit different.
2: Just to kind of cap off this whole sort of segment about being a professional athlete as a full-time job, uh, what would you tell a kid uh, that has becoming a pro athlete as a dream?
0: The building block to being a good professional athlete is you've got to enjoy it already. As soon as it turns into a chore or something that you're like, I need to do it, blah, blah, blah. I just think the mental toll that that takes is really hard. And for me, gratitude and you know, perspective right now is so important because it is a job. It's not what it was like when I was 12. You know, running around carefree, playing with my mates because it was an escape from school. For me now, it's this is what I do. And that has a different toll on you than um, the freedom. So if I'm talking to a young kid, I'm like, make sure you love it. That's what keeps you in the game because this game has more challenges as a professional athlete than it did as an amateur athlete. If you can make sure that you enjoy it and then get the basic fundamentals correct at a young age, that puts you in a great position from a skill point of view because, you know, everything builds off how you kick, handball, mark, shoot. Whatever it is, your forehand, back, everything builds from the basic fundamental. So you get really sound technique and that. And then from a mental point of view, you just got to learn really good skills early age. You've got to deal with disappointment, deal with failure. You can't hide from this stuff before you get there. You accept that you'll make mistakes. Things won't go your way. But also be humble when things do go your way and understand that, hey, your day in the sun doesn't last forever.
2: That's great advice. Uh, So Phil, I want to now move on to more of the nitty-gritty side of the uh, finances of being a professional athlete. So I wanted to start with how does generally the finance side of being a pro athlete work? If you could maybe just give us a big picture of like you obviously get your salary, there's sponsorships, there's all that kind of stuff. How does it all sort of fit in together?
0: There's probably two elements really to it within the club four walls. So as soon as you get drafted, you get a thing, um, we've got a thing called a TPP, total player payment, which is our salary cap, basically. And on top of that, there's a thing called an additional services agreement. And basically what that means is if you're willing to do extra work for the club, they can pay you for it. So you want to be on a banner or whatever it is. So how it works is you will get a wage for playing football and then there's an extra, I think the salary cap at the moment is 12.5 mil and then our ASA is a million more. And so players will get their share of the, 12 and a half million or whatever it is and then some players will get a little bit more out of that and that's your main source of income is from the club and then there's a thing called third party deals which are done by your play manager they're ones that they just negotiate so you might be the face of l'oreal hand cream and they'll do a deal and then you'll have to give them obviously some form of service and you'll get paid you know you might also be the face of woolworths or foxtel or, or whatever it is right and then your manager does that bit. So you've got money coming from the club, which can be two components. And then if you've got extra money, which um, can come from third-party deals. And also there's imaging, but that sort of is through the AFLPA run that, and that comes here just for using your image. So oh, right. on those little cards, so every yep. time a kid buys a pack of cards, if if my name's in it, I get five cents, and they just tally that up over the year, and um,
2: you get a little check from that as well. How important do you think branding then comes in and especially personal branding for athletes?
0: Yeah, I think it's super important. From my point of view, first and foremost, I've always felt that we've got to be good ambassadors, good role models. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I like to think fortunately, you're in public eye. And as soon as you're in public eye, people will look and judge and will be affected by you. I understand that young kids will look at me and be like, I might want to be like Phil Davis. I didn't choose that, but it comes with a responsibility. And then how you project yourself is so important, which links in with the personal brand because you want to make sure that a you're a good role model and you know you've got a good stand in the community but also if you want to broaden your revenue you know you want to be able to appeal to fans and also by that you become valuable to sponsors so that's also very important and you know there's also an element of you know you get paid mainly for playing football so let's make sure that's always in good check because that's where 85-90% of your salary if not 100% of your salary comes from if you don't have sponsorships but at the same time if you are able to position yourself and show that your brand is good and relatable. Um, there's ov- obviously other avenues if you can do that.
2: I wanted to delve into the nitty gritty of expenses as an athlete. For example, like what's covered by the team and what's covered by you when it comes to say, for example, like your gear and nutrition? We're pretty fortunate that most of our large portions of
0: gear and also nutrition is covered by the club because they see such value in it. For example, gear, all my training gear, for in season is paid for by the club so we're sponsored by x blades they've got an agreement with the club they're our power sponsor so all that but footwear we either can go through the club or have our own so i'm fortunate enough to be looked after by adidas so they supply me runners and boots and then talking about training gear so if you're off season players have to fund their own gear in the off season they can wear giants gear if they want to but not many players want to wear Fluor orange in a gym, in a public gym. Once again, fortunately, Adidas are terrific to me and they, they kick me out. So it's an expense that I'm very fortunate to miss out. But a lot of players, you know, 80% of players, we have to go and buy their own training gear. Using a gym, we have to pay for, a, unless we want to come to the club gym. So if you're it, anyway, you have to pay for your own gym membership. If you want to get physio in the off-season, unless you can come to the club somehow, you have to go and pay for your own physio. Same with massage. You know, even when in our off-season when we're not here, you know, I'm still running over 30Ks and doing three two-hour sessions by myself plus weights that's just in my holidays in inverted <laughs> commas so you know maintaining your body is a cost that you meet once you're in the off-season. in season In-season, obviously we've got physios here full time we've got masseuses etc but there are also other players that get extra massage and pay for that themselves on top of the a couple we get a week at the club and then nutrition's an interesting one we get a lot of our supplements here whether it be protein vitamins fish oils etc we get that here however i know players that get their own magnesium and other and other products but also like food so like very particular about our food we eat a lot so we we fund all of our own food um, as everyone else does but we eat more and sometimes we have to eat specific types of food and and stuff like that so we we fund all that they're the major expenses around clothing and, and, and nutrition i know lots of players that have gone overseas for training camps they fund that themselves yeah for me during the week i will go and get a salt bath i really a big fan of the float pay for that myself unless sydney float company look after me every now and again but you know that's something i'll go and do sometimes i'll go and get acupuncture pay for that myself you've got everything available here but if you want more than that you know cryotherapy people go and pay for that themselves as well so yeah, there's a few things. We're very fortunate to get a lot covered, but yeah. sometimes, you know, to go to the next level and to do more, I've heard of a lot of players spending a lot of money on camps etc
2: yeah because there, there are probably a lot of things like you just mentioned that the average uh fam wouldn't realize he's mm-hmm. involved and you know you're obviously trading your body as your commodity yep, you correct. have to take That's care the of major asset yep. yeah so are there any other things that maybe an average fan wouldn't know that you have to pay for for example like if you want to travel outside the team schedule if you need to go see your family if you want to bring your family to watch you no
0: if you want your family to come watch you play you pay for all their flights for example i'm playing my hundred and fiftieth. Hopefully in about round seven, I get two tickets to the game and two f- airfares for people to come and watch. But I'll probably about ten people wanting to come. I'll cover that to make sure they all can come and watch. Finals tickets, I only get two or three. And I've got ten people want to come. That's seven tickets that I'll then buy for, for them to come and, come and watch me play. And, you know, A few players, when we fly to Perth, if they don't get business class, they'll pay for their upgrade from economy to, to business to give themselves extra leg room. So, you know, those kind of things, you know, you pay for your family pay. And if you want to fly anywhere, you pay for yourself unless it's for a game. Anything purely team in in the team schedule, the club cover, but anything outside of that, it's left up to us.
2: I wanted to shift a bit now to the topic of injuries. So I was wondering how concerned you are or how much you think about your health being tied to your livelihood?
0: Oh, no, there's definitely a, a huge element of understanding you know you talk about the stuff that we put our body through just before i'm willing to spend a few thousand ten thousand dollars a year on my body because if that makes me better my salary should increase more than that but it's not also it's also longevity you know once my body slows down enough they'll kick me out pretty quickly and that's it your body is just so important so understanding that it is your major asset and treating it that way one for immediate performance, but two longevity. And that's an important thing. You've got to learn as fast as possible because investing in that is your best investment. Because as you say, if, you, if I can't play or not play well, my uh, livelihood is deeply
2: affected. Obviously, you see that in a lot of professional athletes, like uh, boxing, for example, where you know longevity does really come into it and um, does impact them later on. I wanted to also talk to you about the impact of team selection. So uh, you've spoken openly in the past about moving from Adelaide to the Giants and how the first couple of years were a bit difficult. How important is team selection to your career as a professional athlete?
0: Massive. So we've got a list of 45 players, only 22 can play each week and there are two types of contracts. I'll touch on as well from a financial point of view. One is it's a base payment but every match you play you get a fee. Let's say you're on $100,000 a year but every game you play you get $5,000. So team selection for that player is $5,000 here or $5,000 there every week. And then the other type of contract is guaranteed. So they'll just say, we'll pay you $250,000 for the year. It doesn't matter how many games you play, which is well and good for that year. And that comes back to team selection because if you're playing every week, it's very easy to go and say, hey, don't worry about match payments because I'm playing every week. So give me guaranteed money. And then you don't have to wait until the season for that extra bit of money because a lot of those players probably won't save any money their savings really come in once they get the match payments. So team selection becomes so important because then it's like, well, that helps my salary negotiations. You know, I've got to go and do my contract negotiation. How many games have I played? What can I do with my contract here? And it comes with that person that's on the guaranteed money. If you start getting dropped, you'll be back on the base plus match payments pretty quickly. So there's not a huge number of players on guaranteed money, but the team selection is huge from a financial point of view, but also in terms of your career, you know, if you can just set yourself up in the team every week and play well, one, you get great opportunities. People always come knocking, but two, financially, you'll get better offers from your own club as well. But if you're inconsistent, that then becomes inconsistent in, or are you part of the future? As we said before, it's pretty quick to give someone the flick if they don't think you're a necessary part of the squad.
2: That kind of feeds into the next question, which is you're currently starting business at the uh, University of Sydney. Why have you picked business specifically? What Draws you to that.
0: It's a funny story. So when I was seventeen, just trying to do as well as I could at school, I wanted to be a physio, and then I knew I was going to take a year off. Once I knew I was going to get drafted, I was like, I'm going to take a year off to study, and I'll just do a year. But I was like, all right, I better put my name down for the highest score entrance subject that I can get, which was commerce law. So I was like, I'll put commerce law at Adelaide Uni. I'll put that down, and then I can always drop down. You know, physio was less than that. I spent one year at the Adelaide Crows saw the physio. Because I always wanted to be a sports physio because I just love sport. Right? So I just want to be a part of a sporting club. If I can't play in it, I'll be a physio. I spent one year and I thought to myself, I couldn't do that. Not now that I've played, I couldn't be a physio. So I was like, I'll stick with commerce law. Anyway, so went through commerce law, worked away at that for a while, but got this rule that after 10 years, subjects drop off. And obviously being a full-time athlete, part-time study was part of it. And unfortunately, I got to about three or four years down the track. And I was actually up in Sydney by now. They're like, you're not going to get this five-year degree done in 10 years i was like well that makes pretty good sense I'm, go- <laughs> I'm doing two three four subjects a year depending on how well i'm going and to do 40 subjects it's going to take me close to 20 years so i was like all right i'll drop that and i'll, I'll do commerce anyway that's a roundabout answer to say i decided to do i started off originally doing it because it was the highest score i could get in I had to get rid of the law unfortunately but i like business and, I, and i've worked that out i, I like numbers uh, unfortunately I, I didn't get touched with the creative brain I'm definitely more of a numbers man, which I think is the left-hand side of the brain. Um, I love physics, economics, all that kind of I like that stuff. So for me, business, I felt like it would suit me in the sense that I love numbers. I love working with people. Um, I love the idea of um, having something and trying to make it better. And that's why I, th- I chose to do it. Also, great flexibility. So many different paths you can take from a business degree.
2: How hard is it to balance a full-time career and starting at the same time?
0: Yeah, it's a big challenge, I must admit. Early in my career, I took my first year off just to get an idea of what it was all about. And then it's been discipline, to be honest. A lot of times I have not wanted to study or go into uni or do anything like that, but I've just been like, I want to get it done. It's going to be one of my biggest achievements. And also, I'm very acutely aware that as soon as I retire, whether it be 32, 33, 34, next week, whatever it is, I'll be in a position where I need to get a job. And these days, it's harder and harder to get a job. And... I just know that if I have a piece of paper, maybe that will open one more door and that might be the door that gets me a job that I actually like as well. So that's the main reason I'm interested in it, but two, because I understand that eventually it's all going to come to an end and I need to have a way to get a job because um, as much as we earn, we don't earn NBA numbers where we can just sit on an island for the rest of our lives.
2: What sort of things would you like to do once you do retire?
0: It's something I'm spending more time thinking about now than ever. Um, I think I'll get out of football for a while. As I said before, I love um, problems and trying to come up with solutions. I think I want to be client-facing, which I don't think I want to be crunching numbers. I don't think that's that's me. But I think I want to go out in the business world, gain some experience, whether it be in an investment bank or a bank, and just get some really broad skills. And then I just love sport, to be honest. So sports administration... Be on that side of the building, to me, is really exciting. Get some business problems, but also get a little splash of sport. And for me, that would um, really excite me because, yeah, as I said, I'm a bit obsessed with sport.
2: I want to finish on a question about salary. So obviously, in a non-professional athlete setting, uh, you wouldn't know how much your co-workers and everyone's getting paid. But obviously, in a team, you do know that. How does like, public knowledge of player salaries, uh, I suppose, play into the environment of your finances and even fan perception?
0: Yeah, so we're not quite like the Americans yet where everyone's salary is known, but it seems like everyone re-signs 50% of players, there's a number in that article. It's amazing how it always comes out. And um, The sad thing is that no one knows how accurate the number is except for the manager, the player and the club, which is always interesting. And, and they're never going to come out, no, it's low or no, it's higher, or, or whatever it is. So, And that's where the fans get their information from. It's where players generally get their information from too. From my point of view, it doesn't affect my relationship with a player you know, if they get a really good deal, good on them. But with a greater salary, it becomes greater responsibility and therefore greater accountability. So if you want to get a big salary, you need to play well. And if it comes out, that's just, that's unfortunately what happens. But that's the responsibility that comes out. But for fans, they hold that more deeply than anyone else, they think. As they write, they should. We've got $12.5 million to spend. They want their team to be as good as possible. They've got to invest it wisely. They need a good manager, I a mean, good club personnel, um, the general manager of football, making good decisions about where they're putting their investments. It's like a shareholder. You desperately want your company to make good decisions with their investments. So I think we'll get to a point one day where everyone's salary is public knowledge, a bit like the NBA and the NFL.
2: Well, that's all I had written down today, Phil. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been really interesting for me. It's you know just spoken about things that I've never questioned before. So yeah, yeah,
0: no, my pleasure. It's been great to be here.
1: Thanks for listening to Pocket Money Pals. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast on. And check out the full show notes at finder.com.au slash podcast for all the info. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. Bye.
2: The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening.
1: sports 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 sport